Hey everybody, welcome back this week as we walk through the Word together. And as we walk out this truth, we discover that life is produced in us and also in other people. We are walking with one another, growing together to see the life of Christ continue to manifest and birth in us and then to see it spread outside of the walls of our houses and our church building. We're going to continue walking through Philippians together today. And man, I just know God is, God is going to do some re- continue to do some really cool stuff today. And I can't wait to see what he does. Uh, today, I will not be leading in the word, but I want you guys to make uh, Chuck Hooten feel super welcome today because Chuck's going to bring us in the word. And here's what I love about Chuck, man. I love where God has this man right here. Uh, he is on a journey of prayer and he believes uh, God is going to bring a reviving wind, not just to Knoxville, but it's going to something, something really special is going to happen in Knoxville, as I believe. And uh, Chuck's coming from a place where he's just going after Jesus. And so I want you guys to make him feel super welcome as he comes and shares the word with us today. Love you, Chuck. Thanks, man. I have been so excited today to come and be with you guys tonight. And uh, this table's really tall. <laughs> Um, man, let's start before I say anything about myself, because that's kind of irrelevant. We're going to be in the book of Philippians. Let's go ahead and turn to the end of Philippians chapter one. And I know y'all were hanging out there last week, but I'm going to kind of take some of that and then move us into chapter two to see what I think Paul is, is trying to get us to understand at the church. So Philippians chapter one, we're going to start in verse 27. And so this is what Paul says right at the end of the chapter. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm, one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. This is crazy what he's about to say. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. I was talking about this passage a couple of years ago with my wife, Emily, who is sitting right over here. This is my sorority house that we, walk, we go around together. So this is my wife, Emily, my daughter, Lily, my daughter, Ava, my daughter, May, and then my other daughter, Josie, is somewhere back there uh, with all the kids. So um, Emily and I were talking about this passage, and Emily made the comment to me. She said, to me, this sounds like Paul's Man in the Arena speech, and I don't know if you're familiar with the Man in the Arena speech, but it's Teddy Roosevelt, and I think at the time you were actually memorizing it, right? Which is so impressive. It's so cool that she memorizes fun things like that, but I meant to like print it out, but I didn't, so it's amazing that we have these things we can pull out of our pocket. And... But I'm going to read you this speech. So this is Theodore Roosevelt. He wrote this speech, and with, with what Paul just wrote in mind, hear what Theodore Roosevelt said. It is not the critic who counts... Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly 
who errs comes short again and again, who spins himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Can I pray just one more time? We're going to jump in here. God, we do not want to be those timid souls who are sitting on the sidelines just pointing out what everybody else is doing wrong. And I have found myself in that seat so many times, and I don't want to sit there anymore. God, I want to be where you are in the arena, in the game, following behind you where you're going. God, I believe with my whole heart that for this room of people that you want the same for them, not only that you want it for them, that you are actively calling them and inviting you into this thing that Paul is writing about at the end of Philippians chapter one. And so God, tonight, whatever that invitation looks like, would you make us listeners? Could we receive it? And if we receive it, it'll be because you have given us the faith to follow you. We will not wake up tomorrow and say we figured something out. It will all be because you gave us the faith, you gave the invitation, you gave the strength, You gave the power, you set the vision, you cleared the way, and the only thing we get credit for is just walking behind you. And uh, that's what we want. We want to walk behind you. We want to follow you. And so that's what what I pray for tonight. Uh, Maybe just the start of something, uh, just a stirring in someone in this place where they would step out and just begin to follow. And I pray it in the name of Jesus, God, for your glory. Amen. So up to this point in the book of Philippians, Paul has been writing his friends at the church of Philippi, and he has been making some points, and he has been trying to tell them what it looks like for people really, in this case, who are recent converts to the faith. They have not been walking with Jesus very long, and he's drawn a distinction, drawn a line in the stand and making a distinction and saying, this is what it looks like for a group of people who live in a pagan place, who live in a world that is opposed and against the things of God where you are in the minority, Philippians, he is saying, this is what it would look like if that group of people lived in a way that was countercultural to where they live. Not just for the sake of being countercultural, but for the sake that the kingdom of God would infuse itself in this place so that the world would be changed into the image of Christ. And so in the book of Philippians, Paul is writing his new friends and he's inviting them into this new way of living. And for Paul, always he is presenting kind of a black and white choice for us of how we can live and who, can, who we can be. Just like Jesus. Jesus always liked to talk about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. When Jesus bursts on the scene in Mark chapter one, he, the first thing out of his mouth, he says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand right now. Meaning like right here, not in the future, not pray a prayer so you can go to heaven when you die. Like literally right now, the kingdom is here. And then his invitation is repent, turn around and believe in the good news of God. And then he reaches out a hand and begins to give invitation to come into this kingdom. And Paul, once he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, his life is so completely altered, he begins to speak in a similar way. And to his friends, he's presenting two different ways to live, two different ways to be, two different ways to be human. There there is a way that we can wake up in the morning and we can be kingdom builders over here where we say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build this kingdom. I'm going to curate this kingdom. I'm, I'm going to have the houses and everything put exactly where I want to be. And I'm going to invite you into my kingdom 
so you can kind of maybe like be the superintendent. <laughs> I'm going to invite you. Sometimes I know when I was growing up, and I, I'm not against this phrase, but I think there's a better way to say it where we would say we would ask Jesus into our heart, right? But to me, that kind of feels like we've made something and we're inviting Jesus into it when actually what Jesus is saying is like, let's do it a different way. I'm going to actually build a completely different kingdom. It will not look like your kingdom. The buildings will be different than your kingdom. The mission will be different than your kingdom. Everything about this kingdom will be different. And so the invitation is not you invite me into yours. The invitation is I'm going to invite you into mine. So the gospel is not necessarily us asking Jesus into our heart. The gospel is that Jesus has asked us into his heart. And that's really, really different. Because to come into Jesus' kingdom means a leaving of our kingdom. And that is so hard to do because we really, 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 really like our kingdoms. And the hardest thing in the entire world is to take the match, so to speak, that Jesus is holding out where he says, hey, burn this thing to the ground and come and follow me. We're just caught in the middle. And we find ourselves in this place. We're like, I'm not sure that I want to do that. And so right here at the end of Philippians, Paul is giving this amazing invitation to do just that. He is saying, it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ. You should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Key words that I just wrote down on my notes here at the end. Key words at the end of chapter one. He says, believe, suffer, engage, conflict. And I just thought of this. I don't even have this written down here, but yesterday... We just, we were so excited that football was starting back at our house. A friend of mine texted me that, uh, from Birmingham that football had started, and I said, man, the craziest thing happened today. My girls woke up and asked if we could make breakfast and watch college game day as a family so I could pretty much write a parenting book. That's what I told him. And he, he texted me back. He said, brother, I can't even see the words I'm typing through the tears of joy that I'm writing now, writing like right now through my text. He was so excited. So my oldest daughter, Lily, was just convinced that fall was in the air, even though it's still 97 outside. And so we watched football. We made chili. You know, we did fall stuff. We, and in the middle of the afternoon, because the afternoon games were all kind of terrible games, uh, we said, hey, let's mix it up. So we watched Remember the Titans together as a family just to get things started off right for fall. Uh, Lily said, I want to watch a fall movie. And when Remember the Titans comes on, there's like fall leaves falling off the tree. And I think she said, I'm just so happy, guys. I'm just so happy. And so there's this scene, and I just, literally when I was reading it, I just thought there's this scene where Coach Boone walks into the gym for the first time. And I think, his, I think it's Petey, right? He's standing there with this huge smile on his face. And he walks, Coach Boone walks up and says, what are you smiling at? He said, football, sir, it's fun. He said, football's fun. And they start having this. By the end, Petey is saying, football is not fun. No, sir. He, say, he says, zero fun, right? And Petey says, zero fun, sir. And he's got this. So in a way, like Paul is walking in with the coach's whistle around his neck, and he is saying, like, whatever you thought this invitation into the kingdom was is different than you thought it was. Like, when he's using words like believe, suffer, engage, conflict, to me, that sounds like fighting words, like, like, like war words, like man in the arena words, and I just think that sometimes the way that I've been and the way that I've grown up, my dad, my dad was a pastor, and so I grew up from a kid 
like, you know, and this was back, we were in small town Alabama church, and so we had church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, discipleship training, and then we had this other thing, we had church on Wednesday night, we had supper with everybody, Wednesday night supper, where they would serve us horrible food, and we would get together and like talk, and then I had RAs, and I had youth groups, so I just had this thing where like the whole expectation of my spiritual life that I would come to things, and I would sit and I would listen to somebody talk, kind of like I'm doing right now, and that, that my spiritual growth depended on me coming and sitting and listening to what someone had to say about God. And listen, I, what, what we are doing right now, I love. And I don't want you to hear me say that I don't love it because I love it. I think it's ordained by God. I think it's so important. I think it's valuable. But here, in a way, when I was growing up, this is what happened. I was like the guy on the football team that the only thing I ever did was come and watch game film. That was it. Like, I was the game film guy. Like, if you asked me what play should have been run, who should have been playing, what the correct audible would have been, what the correct blocking package should have been, I would have been like, oh, yeah, they totally should have done this, right? Like, I could have been the guy. I lived in Birmingham for a long time, and Paul, the Paul Feinbaum show was the biggest thing in town. This was before he was nationally syndicated, so we would listen to the Paul Feinbaum show, and people would call in. They would start their go, Paul, they should have done this, right? And, like, they knew everything that should have been done in the game. One problem with all of this, I nor them had ever played a snap. Not one. Cleanest jersey on the team. And this is the difference. This is what Paul is inviting us into. He is saying that the kingdom of God is not something to be observed, and the kingdom of God is not found in just knowing the right answers about God, that Jesus has very literally held out a hand and said, when he said, follow me, what he is saying is, would you like to play? Would you like to play? To which my answer and other people's answers to Jesus was to ask some really good questions. Jesus, those guys out there look huge. Will people hit me if I play? And without batting an eyelash, Jesus and Paul would look back and say, oh yeah, you're gonna get hit. Yes, sir, you are gonna get hit. Well, don't people get hurt out there? Yeah, people get hurt. Every time they step out there, people get hurt. Isn't it really fast and chaotic and isn't it kind of dangerous? And they say, yeah, 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 it is. But without another hesitation, they'll reach out against me. But do you want to play? And I was with a group last week and a lot of the people in the group were actually, it was a high school group and a lot of the guys were actually football players. And I said, guys, why do you play this crazy game where when you step out there, the goal is to hurt another person, <laughs> right? Like you were out there battling and battling and colliding and colliding and you would say at the end of it you would look at it just like Theodore Roosevelt's speech and just like Paul's saying here you would be exhausted you would be tired sometimes you would be broken and you we would ask you we would say how do you feel in this moment you say alive I feel alive I feel like I was made to do this why because it's what you were made to do the kingdom of God is not found in sitting politely and learning facts about God. According to Paul right here, at the end of chapter one, the kingdom of God is found by those who will put on the jersey, not just go to game film time, but literally step between the lines and play. Like line up and play. Come what may, play. Give themselves to the cause. And that is what Paul is inviting us to here. 
I read a quote this week. My wife and I were, were studying a couple things. And Charles Spurgeon said this, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. This last week, my wife and I were in Montana at a conference of people who are doing discipleship and church planning all over the world. And we sat in rooms and prayed with people crying out to God in a way like I haven't been around in a really long time that God would give them the lost and that they would give them the lost through their life. Like they're, they're sitting there praying and just volunteering everything that they have for the sake of Jesus. Like send me. Um, and then they began to tell stories of what God is doing in the world. Did you know that right now in the world, the church is growing faster than it ever has in the history of the world? It is exploding in places like Iran, Saudi Arabia, China, Muslim countries in Africa. The gospel is exploding by the hundreds of thousands and the millions. And it is exploding through ordinary people filled with the Holy Spirit who have decided that the call of God is real and they are going to their friends and they are going to their family. And just like the woman at the well in John 4, as soon as they meet Jesus, they're going to their circle of influence and they're saying, come meet a man who told me everything that I've ever done. And the church is exploding. And it's not exploding through people that have a bunch of degrees. It's not exploding through places that have beautiful facilities and amazing bands, even though I'm so thankful. It is exploding through faithful people taking the invitation of God, taking it seriously, praying to the Lord of the harvest, like in the book of Luke, and going, strapping it on and playing. That is how it's happening. And so just to be honest with you, I've come back so fired up. I told Jay on the phone this week, I'm ready to like flip tables and run through a wall. I, I was like so fired up to get back from this conference. I walked in this room and Jay said, do you want to pray? And I cried like three times sitting here with Jay. I'm just so ready for God to do something among us here like it's happening there. And I believe he wants to. I believe he wants to. The church is growing faster than it ever has in the history of the world. And in America, this church is shrinking faster than it ever has in our history. We've trained the work of the gospel out to just a handful of a few trained professional Christians. And, and I'm just here to tell you, Jesus did the opposite of that. I mean, Jesus very literally went and called the worst qualified people he could possibly find. And walked around with him for three years. And I love what he would do. This is what he would do. In the book of Luke, they come and they say, Jesus, all these people are hungry. You should do something about it. And the first thing out of his mouth is he looks at him, he says, you give them something to eat. That is the craziest thing Jesus could have said. And they answer by saying, man, if we put together all of our money for a year, we would not have enough money to feed these people. And Jesus said, bring me what you have. He blesses it. He puts it back in their hand. Jesus does not take it out. He puts it back in their hand. They take it out. They feed. And then he sends them back out. They pick up the leftovers. And three years later, Peter, who was there, is walking in the temple in Acts. There's this guy sitting there shaking a cup. He said, do you have any money to spare? And Peter says, hey, man, I don't have any cash. How about something better? In the name of the Lord Jesus, take up your mat and come worship with us. 
That's the difference. Fisherman, fisherman, working guy. Like, like a change so radical that he has gone from, Jesus, I don't understand what it means for you to tell me to feed somebody, to without missing a beat, invite someone to stand up and take their mat and come into worship. That is what God is wanting to do in us. Not in a few special people who stand like a place like this and tell everybody what God, that is what he wants for you. And so you sit and you hear that and you think a lot of times what I think and you say, that is not me. (laughs) I am not qualified to be loved that way, to be used that way, to be sent that way. From the scriptures, if you have a pulse, you are qualified to take the kingdom of God. And that's just the truth. As a matter of fact, Paul will say in other places that God wants to take the weakest parts about you the most shameful parts about you, the the things about you that no one would ever use or want to know about, those are actually the things that Jesus is going to take and move his kingdom because you won't be able to look and say, look how awesome I was. And so this this is how we serve. And so this is, this is how Paul answers the question, of how this is going to happen. Will you just read the first of chapter two because it is stunningly beautiful in the light of what we've just read. This invitation. Paul is going to say, the way we're going to learn how to do this is by looking at Jesus. He says, so, at the end of what we just read, so, so, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation, playing, any stepping between the lines in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our way forward, according to Paul, is through unity, humility, and service through the example of Christ. But I want you to notice what Paul is doing here. Have you ever noticed that when Paul is describing Jesus here in Philippians chapter two, he is describing the opposite of who we are in Genesis chapter three. It is very literally the opposite of our story in Genesis chapter three. If you're not familiar with the story in Genesis one, two, three, in Genesis one, it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the water and God said, let there be light. And there was light. We know from the book of Colossians that the one doing the speaking was Jesus. Through him and for him and by him, all things were created. And then God forms a man out of the dust and he breathes life into his nostril. 
And as he's doing that, before he says that, he says, let us make man in our image. And then he says, it's not good that man should be alone. And he brings Eve to Adam. And Adam writes the first love song ever made. This is now flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. And God puts him in the garden, gives him everything he's created except for one thing. He says, everything is yours. Everything that I have made is yours. Everything. Except this one thing. There's this one tree. I want you to stay away from it. That's mine. Do you hear the similarity? Created in God's image, called to submission, a refusal to submit. There is rebellion at a tree, and we are cast out of the garden in shame. That's how we start the whole thing. Paul, in this passage, is literally describing Jesus in a way that is the exact opposite of that. In the image of God, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Called to submission, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, submission. Our failure at a tree was remedied at another tree, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. And as we were cast out, God, through our brother Paul here, will say of Jesus, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, because of Christ, because of his victory, Paul is offering to us after his invitation to step into the lines and play, to give our entire being to the kingdom and the mission of God, to the glory of God. He is giving this example and he's saying these things. Become like Jesus. Lay aside yourself. Grasp hold of who Jesus is. Follow Jesus. Engage in the mission, in the work of the kingdom of God. Lay your kingdom to the side and engage in the work that God is doing literally right now all around you. When you walk out these doors tonight, God is moving and God is at work and he is inviting you into that work, you. Engage, follow, surrender. Just as Jesus did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but instead he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. We hit our knees and we say, Jesus, you can have everything that I have. There's not a thing that I have that you can't have. From the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, you have me. And anything that's at my house or around me, you have that. Surrender. And then we move into the struggle. And my favorite part about moving into the struggle is Paul's going to invite us to do it together. You don't have to go by yourself. As a matter of fact, Jesus doesn't want you to go by yourself. And I'm looking at a room full of people. I experienced worship tonight where I just feel like God is on the brink 
of bringing hearts and minds and lives intersected in a way in this room where he is going to begin, begin to give huge chunks of the city of Knoxville for the kingdom of God through your faithfulness. If you'll play. If you'll just step between the lines together in surrender to play. This room, shoulder to shoulder with your team. We're going to sing a little bit more, but and as these as the as the worship team's coming forward, let's do this. I'm going to just invite you to bow your heads just for a second. I just want us to ask Jesus for some things together. And as they're coming, I'm going to invite you to take a posture of prayer that I love to take. Would you just take your hands and just hold them right out in front of you? Just like this. Just hold your hands out. This is a posture of prayer from the early church. You'll see Paul say, I would have the church everywhere offer holy hands in prayer. This is what he's talking about. We're just going to give a physical representation of what we want to say spiritually. I have started praying even this week. God, give us Knoxville. Give it to us, please. And I wonder if you would join in that prayer and begin to ask God to give us Knoxville. And not that someone else would come in and do the work, but as you ask God, give us Knoxville, we're really saying us together. God, use us in this room. Use us in this room. I will tell you that we live in a time and place like Paul is writing to his friends, a place that that doesn't look a lot like the kingdom of God. People don't love each other like Jesus loved us. People don't have compassion for one another the way Jesus has had compassion for us. People don't show each other the grace that God has showed us through his son. And as you hold your hands out, you're literally saying, God, let the kingdom come around us and let me be a part of it. As you move and as you go, The only thing that I want and the only thing that I need is Jesus. That's it. Even when it gets hard and even when we line up and yes, there are hits and yes, there are struggle and yes, I find myself on my back because I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. You pick me up and we go again. All I want is you. All I want is you. I just want to play. I want to be where you are. I want to go where you are. Everything I have is yours. All my delight is in you. Psalm 73, who have I in heaven but you? And on earth I desire nothing but you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but the Lord is my strength and my portion forever and ever. And so even in the failing, all I want is you. Even in the struggle, all I want is you. God, I pray over this room, Midtown Church, everybody that's represented here. God, I just get the sense that you are moving and working. I I am... I'm just so thankful to even get to be in this room tonight with these people. God, I'm praying big things for them. Things that maybe they wouldn't even be willing to ask for themselves. But God, I pray that you give us Knoxville. I pray that you use this room to do it. God, I pray for the person that's sitting in this room that thinks that they are the least qualified, God. Use them to lead us. Use them to lead us. God, we pray all these things. 
In your name, in the precious name of Jesus.